Amen. You can be seated. And I want to welcome you again this morning to our gathering. And we are looking at a series through these next couple of weeks called What is the Gospel? And for those that, you know, that are, that are, this is your first time, we're going to be kind of, I'm going to backtrack and kind of catch you up to where we're at so far. But we are just walking our way through an understanding of when we say gospel, what that means. Uh, for those of you who, this is my first time meeting you, I don't know your name, even though I've asked it, and so you probably don't remember mine, but uh, I'm Chad Davis. I'm one of the pastors here at Venue. And through this series, we are reestablishing, if you will, some foundational truths on the gospel message. Okay, we're not redefining because the definition was set clearly in the beginning, but we are reestablishing some of these truths on the gospel message, not just at the point where you have a moment not just at the point in your life where you accept Jesus Christ, but the message of the gospel that began before anything existed. Before time began, there was the gospel in place. And that will only, even though it was, it was established in the beginning, it was here before things existed, and it will find its completion when Christ returns. And so we are talking about the entirety of that message. At Venue, you'll always hear me challenge you to spread the gospel, live the gospel, allow the gospel to change your life. Uh, you know, eat, drink, sleep, breathe gospel. We talk about it all the time because this is our purpose for being here on the earth, to spread the message of the truth of Jesus Christ and the, and the redemption that comes through him and to glorify him with our life. Now, that plays itself out in a variety of ways through our choices, through, our, through our, uh, the, how we respond in our circumstances. But in the end, the message of what God is doing and what he accomplished through Christ and what he is restoring us to be the way he originally created us to be will find its completion in the end. So you will hear me say gospel, gospel, gospel. And so to lim- eliminate any confusion, to just let's just establish what we mean by, we, by talking about the gospel and to what we mean by that, we are taking it step by step and clarifying what the Bible teaches us on the universal story that God has been writing since before time. And last week, we talked about creation. Last week, we established how things got here, how we began and what that teaches us about the God that we serve. And we, what we found is that the, the Genesis account of creation doesn't just detail to us how we all got here. The, the, what we find in Genesis is, yes, the, the actual events that took place that to, to make creation. But we learn that it's so much more than that because equally important is that we learn about the creator. So, yes, we see creation. We see what he created and how cre- he created But what we learn in the end is about the creator. And so in Genesis 1 and 2, we discuss how God created. He made everything perfect, no sin, no pain, perfection. He made it just like he wanted it to be. And he created everything by the power of his word. And we talked about last week how much this screams of the magnitude of the power of God. That everything that we know came into existence through his spoken words. And we talked and we looked at Scripture where we see that not only did he establish and create everything through his word, but everything sustains, he maintains everything through that same power. And we see then as he created everything by the power of his word, we then see this very intimate moment. And we talked about when he created man, he formed him out of the dust. And so we see this, this speaking into existence and, and, and God proclaiming that it was good. It is good. And when he looked in the, at all of his creation, he said it was very good. He, everything he had established. And then we see him, though, 
And he takes, we see the account of how he formed man out of the dust. And we talked about how the potter, he, he formed man. And after he formed him, he breathed into his nostrils life. So God, he created with his word, and then he forms man. And we see this intimate moment between a father and his son. And it's a beautiful picture of God, our creator. He placed man in a beautiful garden that he planted. He made this place for him to enjoy. He placed man over all of creation to work the land, to rule over the garden. He sees that Adam needs a helper. He sees that it's not good for for Adam to be by himself, so he creates a helper. He creates Eve out of the side of Adam, and things are perfect. They are the way he intended them to be. And we see in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 25, a very important verse. And you can go ahead and turn to Genesis. Uh, We're going to be there uh, this morning. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, we see a very important verse that we often overlook. And it says, And the man and his wife, they were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, this verse used to catch me off guard a little bit because I was thinking, you know, what a random way to end the story of creation. God creating and breathing into existence everything. And then, and then we just get this verse that, you know, by the way, they were naked and they didn't care. And I used to read and wait, what's going on here? But this verse shows us that there was perfect rhythm. Everything was just, just perfect. Everything screamed worship to God. Everything he created cried out to God and glorified him and worshiped him. And God says that it is very good. And man and woman knew things the way they were. And they saw how God had made them and what he had created. And everything was just as it should be. No shame. No problems, peace, perfection, just the way God intended. In the Old Testament, they would use the term shalom to describe this, peace, things as they should be. And and in the Old Testament, the shalom is used to describe that. But in chapter 3 this morning, something is going to go terribly wrong. Something is going to go terribly wrong that is an attack on the shalom. Now, I want to do an interactive activity this morning. Uh, let's, Let's, everybody clap your hands like this together. Everybody together. You hear that? Except for a few people that have no rhythm, it's going pretty well right now, right? So keep that up. So see, shalom is happening, rhythm. Things are just the way that they are supposed to be. And then guess what happens in chapter 3? We hear this. No rhythm. You can stop now. Thank you for your crowd participation. But you see, something comes in and it's totally averse to the rhythm that God created. It's in a total, just attack on shalom. And sin enters the world and man falls. And unfortunately, great is the fall. And the effects of this fall still resonate through our culture and it still resonates through our lives to this day. And for believers and non-believers alike, for people who are followers of Christ and those of you in here that are not, there is a longing deep down as God's image bearers. We were created in his image. And deep down inside of us, there is this longing to be drawn back to the way things were supposed to be. It's inside of us, we are longing for that because that is the way God made it. And this morning, we're going to be t- talking about sin. And we're going to be talking about its role in the gospel story in our lives so I know with that, with that being our topic, this will be such an inspiring and motivating morning for us as we uh, you know, all love to have someone point out areas of weaknesses in our life, right? 
And, and so this morning, I just want to tell you, it's going to be kind of like going to the dentist, okay? We, we don't enjoy it, but we know that it's necessary, right? We know that, that you know, you've you got to go to the dentist, you've got to get some stuff fixed, and having a cavity filled may not be a pleasurable experience, but it's for our own good. And so as we jump into Genesis chapter 3, I want us to join together in prayer and ask that God guide us this morning as we discuss, to me, one of the most troubling times in all of Scripture. So if you will, let's join together as we prepare to go into God's Word. Father, thank you this morning for your Word. God, thank you that despite theories that are out there, we serve a God who not only was separate from creation and established creation, but then did not just put it in motion and then walk away. But God, you are very active and your Word is direct instructions to our life as to how we are to live So God, this morning, may we not just seek to gain knowledge about you. God, may this not be about learning about something. God, as a disciple of you, we are learners, but that means we are learners that are actively pursuing ways to apply that. So God, may this morning, may your word and and, and how the scriptures jump off the pages, God, and your scriptures teach us that your word will not return void. So this morning, as we hear your word, God, may we not just grow in knowledge, But God, may that knowledge leave our mind and find its way to our hearts, God, and to our hands and to our feet and to our mouths, that we will go and we will share the truth of it, God. May we be changed this morning. God, may I be changed this morning through interacting with your word. And God, that is our prayer. You be our teacher. God, as I I share, may your words shout over my whispers. God, may we hear you this morning. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we are going to look at beginning in Genesis chapter 3, and you can, you can flip over to there, and we'll begin our discussion of sin. And as we read this passage together, and we're going to read this passage, take chapter 3 and work our way through it, and what I want you to see is the absolute, and hear the absolute horror and rebellion in these words we're about to read. As something that was intended as perfect An all-sufficient God giving them everything they could ever want, putting them in a beautiful garden with things that are pleasing to the eyes. And now we see how it is flawed. And I pray that this morning we will see more than just the kid's story of, of Eve taking a chomp out of an apple. But may we see not just the circumstance of what happened, but may we see the absolute terror and rebellion as 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 we just see things are perfect and and we're just like, no, don't eat the apple. Because when she does, things are forever changed. But let us also be reminded that this is not outside of the providential plan of God. This is not a story of God losing control. This is a story of his redemptive plan and his providential plan. So I want us to read Genesis chapter 3. In verse 1 it says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, exactly what she heard. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What a contrast from chapter 2, verse 25 to now their eyes are open and they recognize that they're naked. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam, and he made for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away, uh, turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So right away in this beautiful setting in this garden that God created for his creation. In the middle of that, the serpent, Satan, enters the picture. Now, it doesn't specifically say, it only refers to, to Satan, or, or refers to the serpent. But in Revelation 12, 9, and in Revelation 20, verse 2, we see the same metaphor used to describe Satan. And so we know that Satan's temptation began in the garden with a process which would spiral to the point of sin for both Adam and Eve. First, we see through this reading that we just read that the temptation causes them to redefine what is truth? They redefine what is truth. God tells Adam and Eve that death would come from eating of the tree. And Satan said in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 4, that you will not die. And we find Eve doubting the truth of God's word and trusting in untruth. Redefining what truth is. And this battle, it continues to this day. For many of you, there is absolute sin in your life that has a stronghold. All of us are sinners. Let's establish that this morning. We're all sinners. We all have things that we struggle with. But for many of you in here, there is absolute sin in your life that has a complete stranglehold on you. You know it's wrong. You know you should do things different. And you know in your heart that God is calling you to make a change. But because of the heavy pull on your heart, because of the temptation and the desires, you have allowed yourself to justify the sin in order to do life the way you desire and not the way God desires. And so what we have done is we have questioned what is truth and we have reestablished this, this acceptable way in which to do life. We say, God, we know that you created it like this, 
and we're kind of like right here, and so that becomes our new standard. That becomes the life that we try to live as acceptable. A few weeks ago, um, I went bowling, uh, which is a random segue, but I went bowling, and, uh, and I had got talked into going to one of these uh, deals where it's all you can bowl, and I'm past the age of being able to all I can bowl. And so, like, this morning, I'm just now getting the feeling back, and things are starting to work through this arm again. But, uh, but when we went, you know, you, go, you think about bowling. You go bowling. Perfect score is 300, right? You, you bowl and you knock everything down. That's a standard. If you knock everything down, that's perfection. That's what we strive for. But you know what ends up happening in bowling? You have so many games of 75 scores that then we begin to say, if I, can, if I break 100, I'm doing really, really good. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm going tonight and, and all games, I'm going to bowl 100. I'm not going to go below 100. 300 is the mark we're striving for. But what we find ourselves doing is we're striving for the 100. Just let me break 100. Some of you are saying 50 is my uh, par, but, uh, but, but 100 is the mark. But yet we settle for, you know, an acceptable round of being 200 points below what is the, the designated mark for success in bowling. And yet in life, that is what we do. We say, God, you have set the moral score of 300, but we're kind of bowling around the 150 mark and it feels pretty good. It seems good. Outwardly, I look pretty good. I'm doing kind of things the right way for the largest percentage of the time. And so in turn, that becomes the standard. And what we have done is we have redefined what is truth. And the temptation, as we see through Adam and Eve, also causes them not only to question what is truth, but to question who am I? God is creator. He made Adam and Eve. They are his creation, subject to him, unparalleled to him. And yet the temptation to become like God and put themselves in the place of God overcame them. They walked with him in the cool of the day. He met with them. They knew he was creator, but yet the temptation that was placed before them. The one thing, now you think about all the things we have, have just let's, let's for a little while, we're gonna, in a little bit, we're going to talk about things we should be doing. Let's just think about everything that we are told we shouldn't do. They had one thing they couldn't do, and the temptation was too much. And so sin is here. Sin is here. We see it in the story now. And so we want to talk about what is sin. Wayne Grudem defines sin as any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Adam and Eve in this story, we see them sinning in two ways. One is the sin of commission. Look back in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and you read, and we read that, that, that Satan just blatantly says, God didn't say you couldn't do that. And they know that he did. Eve, he said, Eve said, no, he said we can eat of anything. We just can't eat of that tree. He goes, no, 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 no. That's not what he meant. And so there is a sin of commission. Adam and Eve were told one thing they couldn't do, but they chose their self-interest over humility. Eve ate the fruit she was told not to, and through that did exactly what God forbid her to do. And through, the decision of, through this deception of Satan, that still, it still carries through today, and we read and hear what God tells us to do, but we choose to do something completely different. We sin by commission. God says, don't do this, and we do it. So that's a, a, a one aspect of sin that we see. So, so we know there are obvious characteristics of the sinful nature. If you were to, we're not going to flip over there, but Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, it says this is what the sinful nature looks like. 
And it describes some very obvious outpourings of what sin looks like, sins of commission. There are evident sins that we struggle with, and it is crucial for you and I to know the effects of intentionally choosing wrong over right. We have to recognize in our life what happens when we intentionally choose wrong over right. James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So do you hear the warning found in this verse? To hear the word of God to know what it says that you are to do and not to do, and yet to choose to not obey it is a deception to yourself. You're deceiving yourself when you allow this to become truth. And this morning, I just, I want to have, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this back around, I promise, in a little bit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of be some encouragement there. But I just want to have just a few minutes of real talk, if that's good, okay? I just want us to be real open and honest with each other. We're a family. We are growing together, and so I just want to be real open and honest with you. In this room today, there are some of you that are addicted to pornography. There are some of you in this room that have a real secret addiction with pornography. It's wrong. Repent and stop it. The Word tells us what to do. It tells us sins that we should not partake in, and yet we choose because it's something secret and no one has to know. But I can tell you it's marring your witness, it's marring your fellowship and relationship with God. Though nobody may know, they may never come to know that you have a problem with this. It's a problem. It is a separation from God. It's wrong. There's some of you in here who are having sex outside of a marriage relationship, and it's wrong. It's a sin against your body, and your body is the temple. Do you realize that? If we are claiming to be a follower of Christ, then we sin against the body and we are wrong because we are, as believers, God's temple. He dwells in us. So do you see the problems that come along with that? There are some of you in this room that are very prideful. And your fame is much more important to you than what God desires. You, you don't care. You you, in the name of Christ, maybe, you, you do things for him, but at the end of the day, it is very prideful in its intent, and it is for your glory. It's not bringing glory to him. It's, it's bowing down at your own feet and worshiping yourself in place of him. Some of you abuse different things in this room, and and whether it be alcohol or, or whatever, you abuse it. And the Bible teaches that, you know, in moderation, there's nothing wrong with these things, but we have to practice discipline. But some of you aren't. You've allowed yourself to be lured into sleep. You've allowed yourself to, to realize that it's acceptable to eat the apple. And it's not. Because God tells us very specifically how we are to live in that respect. Some of you in here struggle with gossiping. You call it prayer requests, but it's gossip. It's gossip. Some are liars. Some of you are struggling with hidden sins that are like a cancer inside of you. They're not only eating away at your joy, but they are handcuffing you from being able to move forward in your walk with God. And listen to this now. I want you to know something. We can gather with, our, with this faith community week in, and we can gather with it week out. 
We can be in a community group. We can be in a Bible study. And you can Bible study yourself to death. But in the end, the unrepentant sin in your life will expose you. It will expose you. Matthew 12, says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. A tree is known by its fruit. If you have sin that you are habitually a part of and is controlling you, it is going to find its way to light, and your fruit that you manifest, the fruit that you produce, is going to be evident. It's going to be evident, as scriptures teach us. I'm afraid in our church cultures, and, and, and I want you to hear something this morning. Here, it, 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 maybe not in the tone of my voice or, or the intensity by which I'm speaking on it, but hear, hear grace through this, okay? When I talk about the specific sins and the different things that we have to be aware of, I'm telling this out of a very graceful spirit. I'm telling you this out of God's rich mercy that he has for you, but his desire to do things differently in your life. And yet, as our church culture today, at the expense of trying to become seeker-friendly, we have jeopardized truth. In order to have open arms for everyone, we have said in our hearts that we have had to redefine what we proclaim as truth. But let me tell you, we don't have to redefine the specifics of truth because this, this book right here, it just oozes of grace and mercy. So we, help, we welcome people with open arms, not because we, 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 break the, we make the truth a little more easier to swallow. We welcome them with open arms because of Jesus Christ. And he said, it doesn't matter. My arms are wide enough for you to be welcome. So we see a, a very intentional danger in a sin of commission, just continually to do things, trying to, you know, trying to, 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 to bowl 100 when God says it's time to bowl 300. Trying to be so good to a certain point and do everything else right so that the sin that's controlling your life can be justified. But scriptures teach us that's not the case. But we also learn from this, this Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve partake in a second sin, and that is the sin of omission. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I believe the original, in the original text, that word for, uh, that was, we translate husband from was uh, lack of leadership. We, we see a- Adam, the leader, he's created to be the leader and yet the second type of sin we see here in this creation is the sin of omission. Eve sinned by doing something she was told not to do. And we find Adam sinning by not doing what he was told to do. To lead. Adam's complacency leads to a sin of commission. But ultimately his passiveness causes him to rebel against God by not fulfilling the role he was supposed to fill. One of the most beautiful descriptions of, uh, vivid descriptions would be a better word. One of the most vivid descriptions of, the, of this battle, of, of wanting to do what we know we're supposed to do and not, is found in Romans chapter 7. So, so hold Genesis 3. Let's turn, turn to Romans chapter 7. We're going to go several places this morning. So just keep Genesis kind of earmarked there and, and let's go to Romans 7. Chapter 7, beginning with verse 15, it says, For I do not understand my own actions. I don't understand it. For I do not 
do what I want, but I do this very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, listen to this, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Many of you in this room know in your heart what God is calling you to do, but yet you are choosing something different. For some of you, God is calling you to step out in faith and reach out to a lost family member a friend, an acquaintance, or maybe an enemy. And you know he's placed them constantly in your path. And God tells us that we should go and be ambassadors of his message, and yet we choose not to, and we say no. And with each no, we are saying that their separation from God is not worth the inconvenience to us. We're saying that I know they are separated from God, but it doesn't, for me to be inconvenienced and have to step out and do something boldly, it's not worth it to me. It doesn't mean that much to me. For some, from some of you, God is calling you to redefine some relationships. He's calling you to, to reprioritize relationships, to be in order with, the way he, you know, with him as, as overall, and we say no. Some of you are being called to take a step of faith in your walk with God, to, to maybe serve him uh, in, in missions or maybe to, to, to do things uh, with a life change, to make a life change, and you know that. But yet it doesn't fit into our will, and so we refuse. And so I want to challenge you today that we do not have the luxury of picking and choosing obedience. It's not a question of just what we desire. We can't pick and choose obedience. We do not have the opportunity to choose how we will obey God based on what we desire. We'll learn next week that God sent Jesus Christ to pay for all of our sins. And through his blood, he calls us to, everybody in this room, to obey all of his ways. And so through this original sin, all of mankind has this sinful nature inside of us that requires salvation from God. Romans 5, verse 18 through 19 says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. D.A. Carson, in respect to sin, said, the heart of all this evil is idolatry itself. It is the de-godding of God. It is the creature swinging his puny little fist in the face of his maker and saying, in effect, if you do not see, see things my way, I'll make my own gods. I'll be my own God. So sin is now here. And look right away. Let's, let's backtrack. Let's look back in Genesis chapter 3. And let's look at the response of Adam and Eve. Isn't this such typical human nature? Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. 
It says, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves. And in verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? In verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And so we see that sin unfolds. Verse 12, the man said, when Christ said, uh, or when God said, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman that you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then it goes on and Eve blames the serpent. And, and so another intimate moment with God. He's coming walking in the garden in the cool of the day, looking to fellowship with his creation, and he approaches them about what happened, and instantly they shift the responsibility. They start blaming anybody but themselves. Adam actually says, it's your fault. The the woman that you gave me, that woman that you made, it's the woman's fault. You gave her to me, you created her, she's the one that gave it to me. Eve said, it was the serpent. But we must see that you and I, we're responsible for our actions. Okay, we're responsible for our choices. It's no one's fault. Yes, there are things that, that, that play into that, circumstances, things that you have going on. But let's just let this just kind of soak in a minute. The choice to sin, the choice to rebel against what God crea- how God created things to be, that choice is on us, either by commission or mission. It's a choice to go against God. So I want you to know, we're accountable to God for every single decision that we are making. Our decisions are not small. They are big decisions, and we are accountable. And so as we kind of bring this whole thing together, I want us to just look from the, 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 the broad strokes of, of Genesis chapter 3. I just want us to just end with three things that talk about what sin is. What is sin? If we're going to try to put a working definition to what is sin, we understand the effects of sin and we understand how it entered the world and what its ramifications are to us. But I want us to see three things. One is that it is rebellion against God. In essence, to sin is to refuse to acknowledge God as God and to put ourselves and our decisions in his place. It's rebellion against God. So sin then becomes our actions that do not wholly conform to the will and law of God. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind 
to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. You hear the separation. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So there is a, a very clear rebellion against God. In, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we see that. Eve thought she knew a better plan for her life than God did. God says, don't eat of the fruit, and she does. And whether or not we admit it, when we choose to rebel and to sin, what we are saying is that, God, your word is not absolute truth. I reject your authority in my life. And we do not trust that your ways are good. I trust myself more than you. So we see it is very clearly a, a rebellion against God. A rebellion against a God that we have now failed to acknowledge that he is holy and he is separate from us. And just like Eve, we say we know a better way. And in essence, we are just denouncing his holiness. David Platt once said, for him to be holy does not mean he is without error. It means he is without equal. And so in turn, we downplay that through our sins. So scriptures teach us there's no servant greater than their master. And so we in turn, by choosing a different way, we rebel against God. Secondly, we see that sin incurs God's wrath. There's scriptures, Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, Matthew 16, 27. You can write those down. We don't have time to go to them today. But in light of God's holiness, he, he will punish sin. That's an unpopular thing to talk about. But it's truth. He, he will punish sin without, the, pres without the, the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ in our life. So we reject the truth of God's word. Psalm 1 talks about the difference when you dwell on the truth of God and when you don't and what that means. Matthew 7, 24 is other scripture about the importance of God's word in our life. And so it's so important that we recognize, even looking at Psalm 1, that we recognize how do we combat sin. We know the word. Know it. Allow it to be in your heart. Look at Jesus Christ when he was, when he was in the flesh and he was tempted. How did he combat the temptation? The word. Truth. And so truth has to become in our nature. We can't possibly build a solid life apart from the word of God. It only leads to destruction and rebellion. We know in Romans 3, chapter, uh, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all there. Every one of us in this room have fallen short of the glory from which God created us. Romans 6, 23 teaches us that the cost, the price of this sin is death. And we'll learn next week that our sin was not excused. We didn't receive a do-over, but our sin has a price. And we're going to talk about that more intensely next week in the topic of who is Jesus. But the third thing we see is that sin separates us from God. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree from which I commanded? And then we see that God eventually tells them the ramifications of their sin and it changes the, the game now. The garden, which is perfect, they're not there anymore. It's a separation from God. Where we see in the beginning that his creation delighted in him and they worshiped him and they ran to his presence for his pleasure. And now we see Adam and Eve running from him in shame. And you and I live life the same way. Some of you today feel extremely distant from God. In your life, you're going through the motions very, very well. 
you are accomplishing the things that outwardly look like what you should be accomplishing. But for many of you, you feel very distant from God. And I want to ask you, are you proactively searching for him? Are you choosing to live a life that is pure and that is lived according to his direction? Because you see, sin in itself, sin in your own personal life, you can identify things as sinful that you struggle with, but you have to realize it is absolute cosmic treason because this sin is a barrier between us and God. So, so hear my words this morning. I'm not saying just sin so from a legalistic standpoint you can obey the rules of right and wrong. Hear me say we choose obedience because it makes us in fellowship with God. It brings glory to him. And to do anything else and to allow sin to control us is to sin against God. Do, do you hear the, 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 the absurdity in our choices to sin? To choose sin is to sin against God. And he's calling us to, to end this separation. Now, we will never be perfect. We are sinful people relying on the grace that was shown to us through Jesus Christ. But may you and I recognize the separation. And we, may we not blame God for not speaking to us. What are we doing with our life to make us into a position to where we are in fellowship with him? Adam and Eve, God would come walking in the cool of the morning and they would fellowship and worship with him. And the instant that sin created that huge separation, they no longer had that fellowship and they found themselves ashamed. So this morning, you and I must proactively combat sin. We do that through God's faithfulness. We learned last week that God is alive and active. He is very faithful in your life. We must rely on that faithfulness as we look to navigate life in a pure way. I think we also must recognize, and I want to turn to Romans 8 where we're, where we're done after this. I want, you, I want to read Romans 8. Guys, I, this, is a, this is a heavy topic this, I've been carrying around this week. But, but hear, hear what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that you legalistically go and you try to earn your right at grace. I'm not saying that sin is going to be something that after this sermon, you're going to say, all right, I'm done with it. No more for me. Sin is, is going to be a part of who we are. But let me remind us this morning. And, and it's, this has been kind of tough for me because next week we're talking about who Christ is. So I kind of feel like I'm like leaving you hanging off the cliff. And we're going to talk a little bit ne the next, uh, next series on, or next sermon on the gospel about the grace of Christ that was shown to us. But let me just end with this. Let's recognize in our life that nothing, nothing that you can do will be enough apart from Christ. Okay. Nothing. Don't leave here this morning guilty because you can't fix things. You're not supposed to. If anything, leave here guilty because you're sinning against your creator. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, probably my favorite verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's one way. There is now no condemnation. You are not condemned. And the way that we face no condemnation is those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Through Christ, God says you are not condemned. Through the sacrifice of Christ, he says you aren't condemned anymore. 
Apart from that, we are nothing but condemned. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, taking and, and not just physically dying a death for us, but absorbing the wrath of God against sin. Because of that, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. What a encouraging word to us this morning as we end. Recognizing that you can't fix things. This is an age-old problem. Sin is just a part of us. We can't fix it, but we can recognize that there is no condemnation through Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk a lot more about who Jesus is and his part of the redemption. But I think when we speak on the gospel message, we're so quickly to talk about the fall and then we just jump right to the mercy and we don't deal with the problem in the middle, recognizing that it is the sin that causes that separation. And so this morning, though it's heavy and it's tough, I want us to know that Jesus Christ is calling us to repentance. He's not calling us just to receive him for a free pass to the next life. He's calling us to repent because we have flawed what he created. Through this gospel series, you and I cannot completely understand the good news without first understanding the bad news. It gets better. It gets really good because we see how, how the, the wrath, the, the wages of sin that lead to death, we see that, guess what? We don't have to pay that price. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I want us to know that our sin has plunged us into a life of ruin, but our loving God has provided a way through Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge you this morning. I want you to really, let's, let's really dwell on this for a minute, okay? Let's don't let this moment pass us by. You and I are faced with a couple of decisions this morning. For some of you, you have have, have claimed the grace and the, and the mercy that, of Jesus Christ, but you've never experienced it personally. And God is showing you through this series that, you know, we, we were created like this, and now we look like this. And something's got to happen to, re, to, 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 to take things back to the way they were. And so Jesus Christ is calling you to submit your life to him, to maybe quit holding on to that, that decision that you had no idea about, you know, that ages ago and you've never committed your life truly to Jesus Christ and given it to him and asked him for his mercy to cover your sin. So for some of you, that's a real decision this morning that has to take place. For others of us, we are definitely being called to repentance because we are living a lifestyle of sin. We are in, I'm scared of the fact that there are probably many, and I don't know, I'm just kind of making a blanket assumption. There are probably many of you that are in leadership in, in some kind of organization, you're a leader. Uh, definitely, if you're, a, if you're a father, you're a leader for your family. And, and there's some of you who are probably leaders in, 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 in organizations that are seeking to proclaim the gospel of Christ. But yet, you are struggling with sin that is eating you away. And I ask you this morning, how serious is sin to you? Do you even care? Are you just trying to bowl a hundred? Go through the motions. And God's calling you this morning to, to repent of that, to deal with that this morning. To, to, to murder sin in your life. And so I want to just, our band, you guys can come on up, but I want to just kind of let that just marinate for just a minute, okay? As they sing, I want you this morning, if, if, some of you may need to, there's some, you, need to, you need to have some real conversations with some people. And look, there are people in this room that desire that. 
this is one of those, 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 those sermons that, look, we're, we're growing together, okay? We are growing as a family, and sometimes family has to deal with business. And this morning, we've got to deal with some things. So you need to, you, some of you in here need to, to talk with someone. You need to, to seriously have a conversation. There's people in this room that you can go to, and they would love to do that. Some of you just need to be in your, on your faces before God in repentance because there is sin in your life that, is, that you're worshiping, and God is calling you to repent of that. And so I want to pray, and then I don't really, I just want to leave this time for you. I want you to leave this time to deal with some things in your life, however God has spoken to you this morning. And may we as a church desire purity. May we live out Second Timothy, that we protect our life and our doctrine closely. And we, we're passionate about that because we learn through scriptures that through that, many will be, will save. There will be people come to salvation through that. So let's pray together and then let's just allow God to speak to you this morning however he chooses. God, thank you this morning for, God, just thank you for this time together. God, thank you that despite the heaviness of this message today, God, thank you for hope. God, may we leave today understanding that there is a way out of this it may require some very real actions on our part God that you call us to but there's a way out and it is liberation and freedom through submitting our lives to you God thank you for Jesus Christ God thank you for 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 not for giving a way that your wrath was not unloaded on us God but you unloaded it on your son and God, through that, we have peace by way of the cross. So God, thank you for that. God, thank you for your mercy. God, this morning, I know there are many in this room that are battling some of the things that we talked about, God. And while there's no specific sins, God, necessarily that are main struggles among the majority of this room, God, all of us are dealing with things in our life. Some are dealing with things that they know are an area that have to be dealt with in order to allow the righteousness you desire for us to, to grow to that next level. And so, God, I pray that as battles are taking place right now in these seats, God, as, as Satan would desire for nothing else but to tempt us and allow us to, to fall into sin, which eventually leads to death, God, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit will work in hearts. God, that we'll deal with very real matters in our life. God, not so that we, from the outward expression, can look like good boys and girls. God, so that we can be in union with you, our creator, that we can be in fellowship with you, God, that in the coolness of the morning as you walk with us, God, that we don't run in shame and hide, but we run to you in worship. So God, that is our prayer this morning. I pray that you deal however you need to during this time, God. Let's, let's, I pray for real decisions to take place, God, so we can, we can grow together as a family. We can encourage each other as a family. And God, this is for your glory. God, this is because you are bringing a kingdom to this world. God, you are reestablishing a kingdom that is like the way you created it to be. And you are calling us to be a part of that global redemption plan to be ambassadors. So God, may, may our testimony not be that I'm struggling with things, but may it be that I have overcame through Jesus Christ. And that'll be the message we'll scream to this world. So God, deal in hearts now however you choose. And God, we just give you the glory for what's taking place here this morning. 